0: So remind yourself continually that the work of Christ is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins, all of them, and you can be confident that you are forgiven. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings everyone and welcome to the Fox Den. You know that feeling you get when you've done something wrong? I mean really wrong. I'm not talking about taking a pen from a bank or a towel from a hotel. I mean really bad things. Now you wonder, can God forgive me? Will God forgive me? Well, I don't think you're alone. All of us have struggled one time or another, wondering whether God has forgiven us or whether he will forgive us. However, I want you to know something. God is not the problem with your struggle. You're the problem. I actually think our real struggle with God's forgiveness is not God's grace, but our arrogance. So let me take a moment to explain. God said that he has forgiven our sins, all of them, and he can't lie. So why do we struggle? Why do we wonder if God has forgiven us? Well, I've come up with two possibilities. One, we believe our sins are too great for God to forgive. And two, we don't believe that God is forgiving. It doesn't matter which one of these you choose. Either way, the problem lies with us. Again, God can't lie, and he said he's forgiven all our sins. So we're the problem. When we doubt God's forgiveness, it's not him, it's us. It's our lack of trusting him and believing him. Furthermore, the heart of both choices is arrogance on our part. We make ourselves the authority over whether or not God can or does forgive Or we call him a liar, saying that he doesn't forgive, or he hasn't forgiven us. Now, before we continue, let me briefly define forgiveness so that we have a working definition. Forgiveness in the New Testament means to send off, or to let go. It means not to hold on to an offense against you. So, how does this apply to God? Well, though we violated the law of a holy God, he forgives our sins, or he lets them go and he refuses to demand that we pay the penalty. On the contrary, he blesses us. As believers in Christ, God has let go of our sins. He punished them in Christ. Now, even though God has forgiven our sins, he does have expectations, not in order to keep our salvation or a condition of forgiveness, but as a result of our salvation. And what is his expectation? Well, for one thing, he expects us to forgive one another. Why would he do that? Because he has forgiven us. Now, in this episode, I'm going to review several Bible verses about forgiveness. And keep in mind, this isn't an exhaustive study, and I've selected several, but not all, New Testament passages to review. I certainly won't answer every question that you have in this episode, and may even lead you to ask more questions. However, I hope these passages that I have selected will be helpful and remind you that God has Forgiven you. So the first two passages to look at is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, and Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. So this is the Lord's Prayer. And in this story, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And in this model prayer, Jesus includes a petition on forgiveness. This petition requests God's forgiveness in a strange way. It's not straight up, God, please forgive me. It comes with an assumption that we will certainly forgive others quite frankly, it's rude to ask God to forgive you if you're unwilling to forgive a brother or a sister in Christ. And that's actually the point of two Bible verses about forgiveness, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. In fact, it seems God forgiving your sins is dependent on you forgiving the sins of others. However, that can't be. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that you have been justified by faith. That implies that God has forgiven all your sins, and if he hasn't, then you're not justified. And you can listen to episode four where I talk about justification. Perhaps a better way to say this would be, if you forgive others, then you don't have to wonder whether or not God has forgiven you. And why is that? God's forgiveness comes before you forgive others, which results in your forgiving others. The next several passages is Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 7, Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 5 verses 18 to 26. And here we see a connection between healing and forgiveness. And these Bible verses about forgiveness tell the same story, it's the same account. And in these accounts Jesus heals a paralytic. Amazing as this is, this isn't the heart of the story. Jesus didn't heal this guy because Jesus is a super nice guy. He healed the man to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. You see, Jesus didn't first heal the man. He forgave his sins. Now, the scribes had a problem with this. They accused Jesus of blasphemy. And then after this, Jesus healed the paralytic. You see, in their view, only God could forgive sins. But to prove that Jesus is God and has the authority to forgive sins, he heals the man after he forgives his sins. Now, I want you to see something else here. This points forward to a future event. Think about what happens when Jesus returns. Resurrection. And what happens at the resurrection? Dead bodies of believers come back to life with no sickness, disease, sin, or death. Ultimate healing. And what do we see in this Matthew event? Jesus forgives the sins of the paralytic and enables him to walk. A picture of resurrection. A picture of ultimate healing. So what's the connection between forgiveness and healing? Forgiveness comes before healing. God will totally heal us at the resurrection because he has forgiven all our sins. Now let's take a look at three other passages. Matthew chapter 12 verses 21 to 32, Mark chapter 3 verses 22 to 30, and then also Luke chapter 12 verse 10. And here we see the unforgivable sin. These Bible verses about forgiveness cause a lot of grief for people. And to begin, let me identify the unforgivable sin. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Basically, this means attributing the works of Satan to the Holy Spirit. Now, you may ask yourself, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Well, this is an easy question to answer. If you're a Christian, God has forgiven all your sins, right? If he's forgiven all your sins, then you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. You follow me? And now that you're a Christian, God works in you to obey, though you will sin till the day you die. And therefore, if you're a Christian, you haven't committed the unforgivable sin, and you won't. God will make sure that you don't commit the unforgivable sin. If you take a look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, You'll see that God puts his spirit in us and causes us to obey him. Same thing in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It's God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see God is greater than you, and though he has left you in this body of sin for now, he won't let you commit the unforgivable sin. Furthermore, people who commit the unforgivable sin will never be concerned about it. Their hearts are set against God, and they will never change. Therefore, the fact that you're actually concerned about committing the unforgivable sin is evidence that you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. And here we are encouraged to forgive our brother as God has forgiven us. Several years ago, a man left his wife after many years of marriage, and he left her for an unbiblical reason. She lied to him one time many years before. And when confronted and warned that he had no biblical grounds for divorce, he refused to forgive her anyway. Do you think this man who claimed to be a Christian can say with confidence that God will forgive his sin? No. The point of this parable? God has called us to forgive others because he has forgiven us. So the main point of the parable is the great grace of God. However, this parable also addresses our arrogance and pride. We refuse to forgive because we elevate ourselves above God. And this, by the way, is the original sin of man. Not only do we elevate ourselves above God, we elevate ourselves above others. But God is greater than us. And if he has forgiven us, then surely we must forgive others. Now, let me get back to the scenario I just mentioned. The unforgiving man demonstrated that he's not really a believer. You see, had he been a believer, he would have repented eventually. God would have made sure of that. Remember, it's God who works in us to desire and do that which pleases him. And this man's lack of forgiveness was proof that he wasn't a believer. Though believers struggle to forgive... And it may take some time for them to do so because we struggle with sin. Eventually, they will forgive because God works that forgiveness in them. So Christians are to forgive because God has forgiven their sins. And that's the bottom line. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. And we see that the blood of Christ is the basis of our forgiveness. In verse 28, Jesus says that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And this proves that the shedding of his blood is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, Jesus came to buy back God's people with his blood, and he succeeded. And this passage is connected to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, which reminds us the forgiveness of sins required the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of Christ's blood, our sins are not forgiven. When you receive the Lord's Supper or Communion, don't just remember that Jesus died for your sins. Remind yourself that his sacrifice made sure that God forgives your sins. So receive the Lord's Supper, knowing that God has indeed forgiven your sins. Now let's look at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And here we see that Jesus forgives a great sinner. And this is a glorious event, a great sinner comes to Jesus and he receives her and he forgives her. There's so much to impact in these Bible verses about forgiveness. But I'll conclude this passage with one statement. She was a great sinner, and Jesus forgave her sins, all of them. He even said so in verse 48. How we desire that our Savior would say that to us. And verse 47 reminds us of the importance of knowing that God has forgiven our sins. Recognizing God's forgiveness it softens our hearts and it causes us to love him more. That's why you need to hear often that your sins are forgiven. Now let's look at Luke chapter 17 verses 1 through 4. This passage calls us to be alert and not lead others into sin. However, there is a reference to forgiveness. It points out that forgiving one another is a continual endeavor. I married my wife over 27 years ago. Do you think I've ever said anything unkind to her? Do you think I've ever offended her? Well, of course I have. Probably at least a hundred times, if not more. And she's done the same thing to me. If we refuse to forgive one another, I doubt we'd be married today. So the moral of the story? Don't keep a list of wrongs. Forgive every time. Remember, we've already talked about this. If God has forgiven you, then you ought to forgive others. Now, perhaps you're saying, Terry, you don't understand what that person did. I don't need to understand what that person did. God called you to forgive. Your sin against God is far more heinous than anyone's sin against you. And yet God has forgiven your heinous sins against him. Therefore, he calls you to forgive others. And now let's look at Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 43. Out of all the Bible verses about forgiveness, this is one of the most interesting The crucifixion is an important point in human history. It's the moment God pours out his wrath on the sins of his people, past, present, and future. Jesus took our sins on himself and endured the full wrath of God on our behalf. Imagine what you would do if you were on the cross. I think I probably would have cried out to God and demanded that he correct this injustice. I would probably say something like, I'm an innocent man dying by the hands of these wicked men. But Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he cried out to God to forgive the men who nailed him on the cross. Now, there is a twist here. Who nailed him there? Well, certainly the Romans did. Well, who else? Well, certainly the Jewish leaders did. They're the ones who called for his crucifixion. But who else? Is there anyone else? Yeah, you and me. Our sins put him on that cross. Had we not sinned, Jesus never would have needed to die. And who did he ask God to forgive? His people, including you and me. Now let's take a look at Luke chapter 24 verses 44 to 49, and Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Here are two Bible verses about forgiveness that are not the same event. The Luke passage took place before Christ descended to heaven, and the Acts passage took place afterward. However, both passages communicate the connection between repentance and forgiveness. In Luke 24, after Jesus rose from the dead, he met with his disciples and enabled them to understand what needed to happen according to the Old Testament. He had come to suffer and die for repentance. In other words, Jesus came to rescue his people, and the Holy Spirit would make them alive with Christ, and they would turn to him. And then in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascended to heaven, Peter preached to the people in Jerusalem. And many of them realized their guilt in crucifying Jesus, and they asked what they needed to do to be saved. And Peter told them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Here we also see the connection between baptism and forgiveness. Baptism becomes an identifier that God has forgiven you, that he has transferred you into his kingdom. Repentance. If you ever doubt that God has forgiven your sins, look back at your baptism. It proves that he has united you to Christ in his death. We see that in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Therefore, God has already dealt with your sins. They're already forgiven. And what's the proof? Your baptism. Now let's move to Acts chapter 10 verse 43. It's easy to look at the New Testament and find passages on forgiveness. And all these passages I review in this episode come from the New Testament. However, Luke, who is the writer of Acts, tells us in his letter that God revealed the forgiveness for those who believe in Christ in the Old Testament. That means God told us about the forgiveness of our sins in Christ from the beginning. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which is a prophecy of Christ. Now let's look at Romans chapter 4, verse 7. I've been pulled over several times for speeding, and that's a miserable feeling. And most of the time, that miserable feeling comes from being caught, not from violating the law. On the other hand, when the judge says that he's not going to hold your violation of the law against you, you feel blessed. Unless you're a criminal and you're working the system, then you don't feel blessed. You're laughing at the judge. We have to remember that God has forgiven the sins of believers, and I mean all of them, past, present, and future. And because God no longer holds those sins against us, because God no longer holds your sins against you, you're blessed. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. And here we see that redemption includes the forgiveness of sins. Here we have two different Bible verses about forgiveness that make the same point. Two times Paul says that we have redemption in Christ. It's done. We have it. Now let me take a moment to define redemption. It has the idea of buying something back. In the context of Christianity, God has purchased believers with the blood of Christ. He bought us back with the blood of Christ. We were lost, and now we're part of God's family because of what God has done in Christ. And in both these verses, Paul connects redemption with the forgiveness of sins. And that means if we have redemption in Christ, which we do, he has forgiven our sins, which he has. Now let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You might wonder whether God has forgiven all your sins. Yes, he has. And I say that with confidence. Now, you might say, but Terry, you don't even know me. You don't know how terrible my sins are. Well, actually, I do. Now, I may never have met you, but I do know how terrible your sins are, because the Bible tells me how wicked you and I are. Through the Apostle Paul, God says that we were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. And what is the implication there? That God has forgiven all your sins. You see, the penalty for sin is death. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And if you're a believer in Christ, God has made you alive with him. And the fact that you are spiritually alive means that God has not counted your sins against you. He's let them go. He's forgiven you. Now let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And I touched on this principle earlier, so I'll only add a few comments. Sometimes people hurt us, and badly. We struggle to forgive. We don't want to forgive, but God has called us to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, keep in mind, not a single one of us deserves to be forgiven by God or one another. However, God has called us to forgive fellow believers for one reason. He's forgiven us. And because He has forgiven us, we are to forgive one another. And now let's look at Hebrews 9, verse 22. Out of all the Bible verses about forgiveness that I've reviewed... Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 speaks of the harsh requirements for the forgiveness of sins. You see, God is not a nice guy who likes to forgive. He's just, and he must punish sin. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, the Israelites sacrificed animals, and the blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Certainly, the animal's blood did nothing to remove sin. Those animals only pointed forward to Christ and his sacrifice. It's Christ's blood alone that is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. In a Christian forum, an atheist asked why shedding of blood was necessary. And that's actually a great question and not easily answered. It seems to me, however, that God required blood because it's the life source. The shedding of blood brings death, which was the penalty for sin in the Garden of Eden. You and I sinned, first in Adam and second by our own will. And because we sinned, we must die. That's the penalty for sin. For sin. Said another way, the way that you know the Bible is true is that people die. Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 tells us that the penalty for disobeying God was death. And one thing that we know is that we're all going to die, which proves that we're all guilty of violating God's holy law. So how is God going to save us? He can't undo Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17. Well, this is how he's going to save us. He sent Jesus to die in our place. The blood of Christ was shed on our behalf, so his death is our death. And our sins could not be forgiven, and we could not be rescued had Jesus not shed his blood on our behalf. It was necessary for the forgiveness of our sins because he died in our place, while at the same time God's justice was served. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 18. The writer of Hebrews makes a very simple statement. God forgiving our sins means that the sacrificial system in the Old Testament is no longer needed. Christ's one sacrifice was sufficient to pay for all your sins, and now all of your sins are forgiven. Now that doesn't mean that we no longer sin. We do. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 verses 7 to 25 that he wants to obey God, but he disobeys. In fact, Paul says that he doesn't have the ability to do what is right in verse 18. But Paul says in that passage that we no longer sin, it's sin in us that keeps on sinning. In fact, Paul says that twice, first in verse 17, then in verse 20. Then he says in verse 25 that you serve God's law with your mind, though you fail to do so with your body, meaning you want to obey, but you fail to do so. So what's Paul's point? Your sins are no longer held against you, so God no longer requires sacrifices. That means that God has already forgiven tomorrow's sins. The ultimate sacrifice, which removed all our sins and the penalty for them, has been made in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and here's a verse that leads us to believe that we must confess our sins in order for God to forgive them. However, God is the focus of this passage, not you. So the point here, God is dependable to forgive our sins, and God has the authority to forgive our sins. And notice what he does. He forgives and cleanses. He wipes away all our sins and our unrighteousness. God now declares us righteous. And then finally, let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. And here John helps his readers know that God has forgiven their sins. They don't have to wonder anymore. But I want you to see why God has forgiven your sins. He did so for Christ's name's sake. Jesus is the reason why God has forgiven your sins, not you. Your conduct does not play a role in your forgiveness, neither does your confession. For Christ's name's sake, God forgave your sins, and this should comfort you. The forgiveness of your sins is dependent on Christ, not you. Now, there are many Bible verses about forgiveness, and from this review, there are a couple things that stuck out to me. From these Bible verses about forgiveness, we learn that God has forgiven all our sins. It's a done deal. Therefore, we never have to wonder whether or not God has forgiven us. And then as believers in Christ, God has called us to forgive those who offended us or hurt us. My sin against God far outweighs anyone's sins against me. And that's true for you as well. Your sin against God outweighs anyone's sins against you. So remind yourself continually that the work of Christ is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins, all of them. And you can be confident that you are forgiven. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.